Good morning. How many of you have ever helped with take inventory in a business? Taking inventory has certainly changed over the years. I saw someone at a grocery store recently using one of those pricing guns and it looks so simple compared to the manual process from years ago. My wife's parents had a photo finishing business and counting rolls of film. Anybody remember what a roll of film looked like? Batteries, all kinds of things like that. Or how about someone who works in a business supply place? Like a friend of mine who hired a, a young assistant to count and actually thought he had to count all of the paper clips. It did take a while, but it kept him busy for a couple of days. I want to challenge you with a process of taking inventory this morning. The title for the study from Zechariah chapter 8, and I invite you to turn there, is God's Greatest Blessings or God's Greater Blessings Await. Inventory is what God wants His people to take. He wanted them to look at the past. He wanted them to look at the present. He wanted them to look at the future. And God invites us to do the very same thing. The big idea, the big focus of this chapter is this principle. When you pursue God with a singular passion, you will experience unprecedented blessings. If you and I will choose to pursue God with a singular passion, a focused passion, you will experience unprecedented blessings. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the great chapter of faith where the author unpacks the list of men and women, young and old, who followed God, who by faith accomplished a variety of things. And early on in that chapter, in verse 6, he says, and without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly or who diligently seek him. So let's take inventory at the start of the study this morning. In the past, were you ever an earnest seeker of God? Have you been a seeker of God? In, in the present, today, would you describe yourself as an earnest seeker of God? And looking to the days and months and years that the Lord may grant to you or to me, will we continue to be earnest seekers of God? If you can say, if we can say, I was or we were earnest seekers of God, we, we are earnest seekers of God, we intend to be earnest seekers of God, we can only say this by His grace. We can only say this because with His help, by His Spirit, He has implanted in us eternal life. This is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, naturally, we don't seek God. We all know, for all have sinned, and we continue to fall short of the glory of God. Apart from God's intervention, apart from God invading our lives, coming into our lives, pursuing us, we would never seek God. Our English professor at Heritage College and Seminary guided the students just recently through a poem entitled, The Hound of Heaven. I invite you to do a Google search and look that up. It's an amazing account, very fascinating portrayal of, of God pursuing the sinner, of God chasing us and actually hounding us 
in order to draw us to himself. Remarkable illustration of truth. Back in Zechariah chapter 7 and verse 11, notice the response as the people look back to a previous generation. How did they respond to God? Look at, look at what chapter 7 verse 11 says, but they refused. They refused to pay attention. God was speaking. God was communicating, but those who heard refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and stopped up their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by His Spirit through the earlier prophets. Remarkably, as we come to chapter 8, God extends an offer of mercy. God keeps the door of mercy open, even as He does today. Follow along as I read a scripture reading, Zechariah chapter 8. Again, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very zealous, or jealous, this translation says, for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with cane in hand because of his age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvelous to the remnant of this people at that time, but will it seem marvelous to me, declares the Lord Almighty? This is what the Lord Almighty says, I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. This is what the Lord Almighty says. You who now hear these words spoken by the prophets, who were there when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty, let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. Before that time, there were no wages for man or beast. No one could go about his business safely because of his enemy, for I had turned every man against his neighbor. But now... I will not deal with the remnant of this people as I did in the past, declares the Lord Almighty. The seed will grow well, the vine will yield its fruit, the ground will produce its crops, and the heavens will drop their dew. I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of this people. As you have been an object of cursing among the nations, O Judah and Israel, so will I save you, and you will be a blessing." Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Just as I had determined to bring disaster upon you and showed no pity when your fathers angered me, says the Lord Almighty, so now I have determined to do good again to Jerusalem and Judah. Do not be afraid. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against your neighbor, and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. Again, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
The fasts of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love truth and peace. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, 10 men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts collectively this morning would be acceptable in your sight. Thank you, Father, that your word has been preserved. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray that even now that as we hear it, we would mix it with faith. We would respond with a commitment of obedience. Spirit of God, we pray that you would descend upon this place. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That you would visit this community. That you would visit this region, this province, this nation. And by your grace, move in a mighty way. Turn the hearts of your people back to you. And turn the hearts of those who do not know you to the saving person of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. God's greater blessings await. All of the promises of God that we're going to track through this morning and are recorded in this chapter are backed, are supported by his infallible, inerrant, and inspired word. What God is doing then, back in the 6th century BC, he does today. He assures his people through his prophets of his promises. That is God's standard modus operandi. That is his normal way of operating. That he has spoken, and those who know him speak his word and bring his promises to assure, to support, to challenge those of us who claim to follow in his ways. God has spoken. God communicates. God communicates through his word. We believe in the Bible, which we call the Word of God. And He's revealed Himself to us in His Word. He's also revealed Himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, who is spoken of as the Word, the living Word. And so we have the written Word and the living Word, and these two bear witness and confirm in our hearts the authority and power and plan and purpose of God. We don't have to speculate. This isn't Zechariah trying to figure out, well, what's the most inspirational, positive mental attitude I could create among the people of God? Did you you notice all the way through this text the number of times the word of the Lord Almighty, the word of the Lord Almighty, it says over and over and over again. God's people need to know that God has spoken. God's people need to rest their faith not on some subjective experience, our hope is built on nothing less than Christ and his righteousness. 
And the foundation for what we believe isn't some theological speculation of someone somewhere. God has spoken. And God calls us to know His Word and to obey His Word. So, in this chapter, there are two large messages. You're just going to get one this morning, but I'm going to put two into one. Message one is from verses 1 through 17. Notice in verse 1, again, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. And then verse 18, a second time, again, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. Within the first message, there are seven mini-messages. Zechariah likes to pack it all in. Actually, God loves to pack it all in, doesn't he? To make his truth loaded, powerful, filled with life-transforming power for us in everyday living. So let's walk our way through these blessings. Are you ready? Number one, the blessing, listen, the blessing of jealousy. Have you ever thought of God's jealousy of you as a blessing? Some translations use the word zealous. I am very zealous. The NIV uses the word jealous. I am very jealous, God says. How do you figure that? How is God jealous? God wants an exclusive, an exclusive relationship with us. He's burning. Look at that. Look, he reinforces it with a second statement. I am burning with jealousy. God is saying to us, listen, I have called you to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your might. Then why, why on earth are you diverting your love to other things. I'm jealous. I'm coming after you. I won't let you wander and forget about you. The Lord punishes those he loves. I, I don't know about you, but that's one of the most understated verses in the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, now no, no discipline seems pleasant but painful. Now, I don't, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you agree to that? Discipline at the time, most kids, if they're properly trained, might not say, well, thank you so much for the discipline. I really, really, really appreciate it, mom and dad. The Lord disciplines those he loves. God does have a corrective for us. And Jerusalem and Judah had been cheating on God. He had sacrificed. He had rescued them out of the hand of their enemies. He had brought them out of Egypt, brought them to the promised land, and they had ignored the warning. Do you remember the warning that Moses gave to them? As Moses gathered them there on the banks in the plains of Moab, he preached three long sermons, a lot longer than Pastor Rick or Pastor Keith or anybody that preaches from this pulpit. You read the book of Deuteronomy, three long sermons. And in the middle of one of those sermons, he said, when you have eaten and are full, then be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God. Friends, it's when we are blessed. It's when things are going well. It's when we're at peace that we tend to go our own way. We're like sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've, we've turned everyone to his own way. We wander, don't we? Sometimes it takes the trials to drive us to our knees. Sometimes it takes the scourge or the punishment of God to bring us back like a prodigal son who's wandered from the way. This isn't just an Old Testament truth. Listen to these words from James chapter 4. Where, where we're told again, God loves us enough to discipline us. He is fiercely jealous for our love. 
He wants us to be all in with him. Listen to the James 4.4, you adulterous people. What language is that? Wow. Don't, Don't you know, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? If you're a genuine believer and you start dating or flirting with the world, get ready. The spirit of God is going to be stirring you up. You're submitted to him. And God has his tools, doesn't he? God has his methods and and ways of getting and gaining our attention. So the first blessing is the blessing of jealousy. Blessing number two, the blessing of truth and holiness. Verse three, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. God's coming back. Now tell me, what does the word Jerusalem mean? City of peace, right? Shalom, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city of peace. But the city of peace is going to have a name change. As God comes home, as he returns, he's moving back into his residence. He's been away. Why? Because his people have wandered from him. They've left him out of their lives. They've ignored his ways. They've gone their own ways, and he has allowed them to do that. But now he's moving back, and notice the commitment. Notice the the name change for the city. Then, when God moves in, Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. God comes in with a standard of truth and reestablishes truth as the measuring line for his people. And the mountain, Jerusalem was built on a series of hills, mountains, Kind of like Hamilton Mountain, (laughs) not much of a mountain compared to the Rockies, but it's a bit of a mountain, right? So it's on a series of hills, and and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the Holy Mountain. So the blessing of truth and holiness. Why? Because we face battles for truth. More than ever, truth will be the dividing line. More than ever, holiness will be an issue. And God says, when I come, when I move by my spirit into your midst, I'm coming with truth. I'm coming as the Holy One of Israel. What did Jesus say when he showed up? God with us. And what did he say? I am the way, the truth, not a truth, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's who God is in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ. Blessing number three, the blessing of security and peace. As God moves into the city, all generations begin to enjoy a new measure of security and peace. I love what verse four says. Once again, notice this, once again, men and women of ripe old age. Stop right there. How many of you would describe yourself of being of ripe old age, right? Like two people put up their hands, right? We just, don't, we just don't use that language. You know, if you fill out a questionnaire, it's like, you know, are you like uh, under 18? Are you 19 to 25? And then at the end, it says, of ripe old uh, age. Th- th- these folks, these older, these retirees, perhaps, each with their cane in hand, are sitting in the streets. 
Go to the cities of the world in countries where there is peace, and you'll see people with canes sitting in the streets, drinking coffee, playing dominoes, whatever. You know, go from culture to culture to culture. That's what they're doing, right? They've had, they've worked hard, they've earned their money now with their coffee or tea or chai, whatever it is, they sit in the streets with cane in hand. They're just relaxing, they're chatting. If you want to know what's going on in the community, stop and talk to them. And in the same city, God says there are also going to be some kids. In the future, as he brings peace, as he moves in, the city streets, the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. Now, these kids must not have Xbox or something. There's something missing because they're out in the streets, right? What are they doing? They're enjoying the peace that God has bring. They're enjoying the blessing of God. And so here's the reality. As God moves, the very old and the very young enjoy the presence and help of God. Praise God for a community that embraces all ages. That's what the church is. A place of security, a place of peace, a place where we can enjoy each other and enjoy the reality of the presence of God. Blessing number three. Number four, I call this the blessing of miraculous miracles. I didn't know what else to call it, right? Look at verse six. As God speaks to Zechariah, he puts a question before the people. It, It may seem marvelous, When God comes and when things begin to change, some people will say, who to thunk it? Can can you believe the difference in this community? I've been reading a book called God Sent Revival. And when God comes in revival blessing, people are stirred. People are stirred. The evident presence of God. That's the reality here. It may seem marvelous. It may seem amazing. It might seem impossible. But friends, God delights to do the impossible. I grew up in a Sunday school that loved to sing courses. We sang courses every Sunday. One of the courses we loved to sing was God, any rivers you think are uncrossable. God, any mountains you can't tunnel through. God specializes, notice, God specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things others cannot do. That's our God. He he does miraculous miracles. The, the, The problem with us is that our faith is so weak It's so weak, it seems unbelievable to us that God would do that. Listen, God rewards those who diligently seek him, who diligently seek him. And and what does the New Testament add to this picture? That God is able to do what? Exceeding, abundantly, above all we could ask or imagine. That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? J.B. Phillips got this right years ago. He wrote a little paperback called Your God is Too Small. Notice the title. Not God is Too Small. Your God. Your God is Too Small. Jesus said if you have faith, that's what? That's a grain of mustard seed. Do you think, 
Did, did I drop it? It's not that much. You can say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and it'll be done. It's not how much faith we have. It's where is our faith resting? God is waiting for us to trust him and go forward with his grace. Number five, the blessing of restored fellowship. What another amazing work of God. Verse seven, I will save. Isn't that what God does? He's still doing that today. We worship Jesus Christ who is our Savior and Lord. You'll call his name Jesus. Why? He will save his people from their sins. They need it. We need it. And he comes and he rescues us. And so here is the picture of restoration. I will save my people from the countries of the east. Some were captured and taken that way. And some are hauled off and taken this way to the west. And God says, I'm going to bring them back. I go after those who are lost. I rescue those who need saving. That's God's commitment. And I'm going to bring them back to live with me, to dwell with me, to be at home with me. They will be my people. What an amazing promise. We're, we're invited. God says, come close. Your family. Your family. And I, God says, I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. God's on a rescue mission, isn't he? He's been on a rescue mission for years. Rescuing, saving, delivering. The reality is he is committed to us. The question every one of us must answer this morning is this. Are we committed to him? He's committed. He goes after. He rescues. He draws us back. He gives us the opportunity again and again and again to have a new beginning. Isn't it amazing? As far as the east, I think I've got my directions right, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. He allows us to have a new beginning. He calls us out of that and says, begin again, turn back to me like the prodigal son. What does it take to bring us home to God? The blessing of restored fellowship. The blessing, number six, of renewed strength and resources. Verses 9 to 11. You who now hear, notice this, you who now, present tense, hear these words spoken by the prophets who were there, past tense, when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty. All right? So God is speaking to the current generation about this big building project. They're rebuilding the temple. They have prioritized for, the, for a renewed time the construction of a place of worship. And God is committed to join them because he wants to dwell in their midst. So here's the invitation. You hear these words you were there when the foundation, we got started, we put the foundation down, but there's still more work to be done. Isn't that true in every ministry you've ever been involved with? Some of us like to be foundation builders. We like new things. We like new initiatives, new ministries, but the work must continue. We, we venture out in faith. We, we are led by God, I trust, to a start new ventures by faith. Listen, they'll only continue by faith. 
What's God leading you to do? How is God leading you to serve? What faith venture, what over your life will be written as your life draws to a close? By faith, put your name in. By faith. The great heroes of the faith aren't just those in the pages of Scripture. They're those who are willing to venture everything on God, to step out, out of your comfort zone, and go for it because God has led you in it. The blessing of renewed strength and resources. Look at verse 10. Before that time, as the building was started, there there were no wages for man or beast. Now listen, when you're building and you're in a rural economy, you have to haul your building supplies with probably an ox cart. And when there isn't enough resources even to buy the, 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 the yoke, the team of oxen, some grain, you don't get much mileage. Not much can be accomplished. I mean, the poor oxen or horses or mules or donkeys, whatever you're using to pull your cart, you've got to feed them. There was, there was no food. There was no food. There were no wages. There's work to be done, and no one could be paid for the work that was to be done. No one could go about his business safely. Read Nehemiah. As the walls are being built, the people are working with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. There was so much threat to the security of the people of God. Read through that book and you'll see how God enabled them to persevere in the midst of a very, very hostile culture in the Holy Land. So what's happening now? No one could go go about his business safely because of his enemy. For I had turned, what's happening here? God had turned every man against his neighbor? What happened? Things aren't right with God, so things aren't right with people. That's just the way it is, isn't it? When we're not in a right relationship with God, nothing is right in our families. Nothing is right in the community. God calls us into a renewed relationship and a first love with himself. Look at the hope, though, in verse 11. But now, but now, I will not deal with the remnant of this people as I did in the past. Look at the promises. No resources to verse 12. The seed will grow well. What you plant in your garden will produce a crop. You like growing grapes? Your vines will yield fruit. Your ground will produce crops. And guess what? The heavens The heavens will drop their dew. Farmers, I grew up on a farm. Farmers should be the most faith-filled people in the world. You can plant, and you can water, but it's only God who gives the increase. They are dependent. They are dependent on what we now have graduated to call Mother Nature. It's not the way the Bible describes it, is it? So God is at work, and God is restoring. He's going to give crops. I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of this people as you've been an object of cursing in the past. People thought of them and and despised them, looked down on them. Look, O Judah and Israel, so now I'll save you. You'll be a blessing. You were cursed. You'll be blessed. You were condemned. Now you're forgiven. You are hopeless. There is hope, friends, when God comes. What a difference he makes. Let's invite him to come. So don't be afraid. 
Let your hands be strong. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Be obedient to him and ask him to bless the work of your hands. Verse 14 to 17, number seven, the blessing of God's goodness. Notice the plans that God had for his people. He's reviewing their history. And just like our inventory illustration, God wants us to take inventory. And so he says to the people, just as I had determined to bring disaster upon you and showed no pity when your fathers angered me, so now I have determined to do good. It's a new day. It's a new beginning. God has come. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Why? God is waiting like the prodigal son's father to welcome us home. I'm running to your arms. The greatness of your love, the amazing wonder of being loved by a God who forgives us. Praise his name. So don't be afraid. Verse 16, these are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other. We'll come back to that. Render true and sound judgment in your courts. Don't plot evil against your neighbor. Do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. That's message one. God says, I've got a second message for you. You say, well, how long do we have? Message number two, again, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. Notice this. The highlight of this text, I think, is in this last section. Blessing number eight is the blessing of joyful worship. You remember those fasts that we explored last week in chapter seven? You see, they had marked their discouragement. They had marked their defeat. They had marked their condemnation with fasting. That was the right thing to do. They had looked back with such grief and thought as we think individually and collectively of how we failed and how we've broken God's laws, and yet the promise is still true. If we confess our sins, what happens? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A new beginning. So those occasions of fasting that were so sad and so somber, look, they're going to become joyful. You'll remember them and say, listen, I know I failed God, but I'm forgiven. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. It's not because I have a perfect track record. I don't. You don't. We don't. But we have found our God to be merciful, have we not? We have found our God to be forgiving. And those occasions of fasting are now going to become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. You know those fasts you were observing? You remember that conversation you had? God has turned everything around. You sometimes see that when you meet someone you haven't seen for a while and they've encountered the grace of God in between. Remember years ago, seeing a new convert going home and hearing her story of returning back to her parents, and her mother in particular said to her, there's something different about you. Do your hair? Makeup? No, Mom, I found Christ. Well, yeah, yeah, but, but she just couldn't figure it out. God makes a difference in our lives, does he not? 
God changes everything. So here's the blessing of joyful worship. Number nine, the blessing of multicultural evangelism. Verse 20, many peoples, God is going to do something that will impact the world. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities like Oshawa and Toronto and New York City and Kingston, Jamaica and Tokyo, Japan and Beijing, China and around the world, many inhabitants will come and the inhabitants of one city will, will go to another. They're going to do some carpooling and bus pooling, and what are they saying to each other? Let's go. Let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. Isn't that amazing? Here is God at work. Many peoples, he continues, many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. We're commanded to go. The remarkable thing is God is bringing them here. One of the great blessings of living in Canada is God has brought the nations here. Many countries close to the gospel have allowed their citizens to immigrate to our country. And now we have to find ways to reach them. Now we have to learn new languages. Now we're going to have to try some new beverages, new foods. We're going to have to stretch our appetite a little bit. Why? Because we're not familiar. It's not always going to be meat and potatoes. There might be some things you can't even pronounce. There might even be some things that you don't even enjoy. But for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ, you reach out, you invite them to their home, and they try your boring, I mean your wonderful food, and you try their exciting food. And they say to you, how hot do you like it? The first time over, you're thinking, I don't know. Is this a, like, is this a five? You know, what, what kind of peppers do you use? Right? We have to be willing to do that. To the Jews, Paul said, I became a Jew to win the Jews. I reached out. I, 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 I suppressed my privileges. I denied myself in order to reach them and bring them the message of eternal life. Let's thank God for the blessing of this country we're in a country that welcomes immigrants from all over the world, and let's get to work in impacting them with the truth, as God has been merciful to us. Finally, number 10, the blessing of God's evident presence. This is a highlight. I thank Pastor Rick for allowing me the privilege of preaching. I, I, I don't know, this verse must have just shown up in the Bible this week. I don't think I've ever seen it before. Or I've read it and haven't paid attention. Look, look, look at the promise. God, by His Spirit, looks ahead and says to the people, in those days, when the Spirit of God comes in power, when God takes up his residence, in those days, ten men from all languages, people from all over the world, from all different cultures, are going to find one true believer. Here it uses the illustration of a Jew. And they find this one Jew, and they grab hold of his robe, grab hold of his coattails, we would say. And they, what do they say to him? Well, you have your faith, I have mine. Is that what they say? Not what my Bible says. They take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, would you let us go with you? We have heard 
God is with you. Friends, whatever, else, whatever other reputation this church may have, if that by God's Spirit becomes true, revival will come to Durham Region. We have heard that God is with you. People on the outside seeing something different on the inside. Why? Because of who we are? No, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that these few words today would not simply be head knowledge, but by your spirit you would open up our hearts in a brand new way to your truth. As the prophet so long ago prayed, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Thank you for these blessings that await those who diligently seek you. We want to respond to that invitation today. Lord, we want to come. We want to declare our confidence that the God of angel armies has gone ahead of us. He is with us. He is preparing us and this community for a great impact of the Spirit of God. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. How should we respond to such a God? Throughout this chapter, there are three simple responses that I would invite you to commit yourself to today. First of all, to move from fear to faith. Don't be afraid, God says. Let your hands be strong. They are to be strong to do the will of God. Secondly, move from deceit to truth. Speak the truth to each other. Live out the truth. Render true and sound judgment. And thirdly, move from loving sin to hating sin. You say, how do I do this? It's not simply by leaving this auditorium today and resolving to try harder. You'll never do it. You and I need the help of God. We've been saved by grace through faith. We'll only grow by grace through faith. Would you join me as I lead us in a prayer of commitment that God indeed would stir our hearts by His Spirit and today recapture us with a singular devotion to our God. Let's pray. Father, how easy it is to read the words, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your might. And then turn away and allow lesser loves to consume our attention. I ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loved us, who died for us, who rose again and demonstrated at the empty tomb his victory, his power, his defeat of sin, of Satan. We pray that you would enable us to renew our first love for him. Protect your word as you have spoken it into our hearts today. Enable us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. For Jesus' sake.